I do think part of what's happened in the context of the past six months has been because of the uncertainty, people have retreated and become very, very careful. Welcome to Post City Magazine's 14th Annual Real Estate Roundtable. This event was recorded virtually in conjunction with the Centre for Real Estate and Urban Economics at the Rotman School of Business Management, University of Toronto. The Remax Collection and Great Golf are presenting sponsors for this event. This year's event is moderated by Post City Magazine's Managing Editor Nikki Gill and Editorial Director Ron Johnson. This is part three of an unscripted and unrehearsed discussion involving 12 leading real estate experts regarding the draw of urban living versus the impact of remote working on the Toronto real estate market. Specifically, the panel focuses on the impact of remote working on the real estate market. I also think we have to talk a little bit about the challenge of the the urban, you know, this was titled city versus city versus suburban. But we know that the pandemic itself has essentially shut down every amenity of urban life, right? Like every reason you would live in an urban place went out the window and it's been gone for almost a full year now. Going to restaurants, going to Raptors games, uh, being able to walk to work. You're not going to work. You're sitting in front of a screen all day. All the reasons for wanting to live in an urban place are out the window, they're gone. So I don't think we should be surprised that people have said, I have a nephew in this category. He's 30 years old. He got rid of his condo in uh, which he was renting and he moved in with his mom and dad because he's working remotely and he can't see his friends and he can't go out. So he's going to wait out the pandemic at home. Does he want to stay living with his parents in the suburbs? No, he does not. So once the pandemic's over, you're going to see a really big shift take place. And, you know, the good news is we can look to cities like Sydney, Australia, that have already opened up where that rush, it's like the roaring 20s, people rushing back into the city, people wanting to go to parties and and to meet and see each other, street festivals. It's like uh, urbanism on steroids. And I think that we should expect that, that, you know, I have the pleasure right now of agreeing with, with Brad. I think that there's going to be a tremendous amount of demand as we start to see the end at the at the light at the end of the tunnel uh, for urban living, and there's just one little piece that I'll I'll add in this, and that is we have to really really talk about. Uh, climate change and sustainability issues. When we talk about opening up the green belt, remember why we created the green belt: Walkerton, water, clean water. This whole dream disappears if we don't have access to clean water. It all disappears. It all goes down the toilet in one quick flush. So the whole reason for protecting the Greenbelt was to protect the water supply for the urban areas and to protect agricultural land in close proximity to the city. So I think, you know, we've got to kind of struggle with this tension we face right now. People want more space, but we also know that we have to be really strategic in how we plan and design land to ensure that we're not creating a disastrous environmental footprint which we've already done in many parts of the GTA. That's not part of the solution. And, you know, I would say, Barry, there's a ton of land. We have a lot of land that we haven't used very well in existing built-up areas. And I can, you know, vast parts of Toronto, 
are de-densifying. There's less density than there was five years ago. So that's really where we need to focus our efforts is using the land that we already has schools, already has infrastructure, adding more density to create walkable, complete communities. I think that's the solution. It's not an environmentally disastrous road. Okay. What I'm going to do is go to Tim Hudak for a comment on housing supply. And we're going to get back into this downtown core versus suburbs and small towns quite a bit tonight. So let's go to Tim, and then we're going to go to a video question. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, no, thanks, Ron. Um, look, the I think the major issues coming out of COVID, once we're through the, the health concerns, are going to be hopefully revolutionizing long-term care. And then second, there's going to be a major social challenge around housing. And, you know, Jennifer's right in a bit. A lot of the folks watching on YouTube right now are frustrated because they can't get in the market. That dream of home ownership. That Canadian dream is slipping further away for people, particularly if you're in the COVID have-not sphere where you've lost your job, you're making less income. So there's a real challenge primarily at the provincial level with Premier Ford and his government, then secondarily at a municipal level with Mayor Tory and other big city mayors around supply. Here's the good news, though, Ron. Number one, there are transportation investments that are happening that will make homes closer for some people to reduce uh, commute time. So the province should continue those in partnership with the city. Second, there's a much greater appetite among politicians and the public to revisit old, outdated rules. Like we can now have drinks delivered to our homes from restaurants. That would have been crazy just over a year ago. So too, we can cast aside these 1970s disco-era bylaws that are restricting housing development throughout our cities. And third, there's new financial technology that can help bring homeownership to reach and co-ownership models, patient money, pension money that may help you with that initial down payment, say 10 or 20%, and they get the upside when you sell it or it's like a rent to own pay over time. The problem should enable those. So it's going to be a big social challenge, but the silver lining is there are options to help solve it for those that can't get in the market today. Okay. We'll move on to our kind of remote work segment and the implications on the housing market. Our first video question is from Bison Lee, and we will direct this one first to Michael Callis and then uh, Ms. Kiesman. Thank you for the opportunity. My name is Bison and I'm currently in my last year of evening MBA program at Rotman. Um, my question is for Michael and Jennifer. Um, with the recent price surge in suburban markets, let's say Aurora and Oshawa, for example, do you see the prices of suburban homes going down after the pandemic when everyone is recalled back to the office? And also, would you say the condo prices now is experiencing an adjustment period? Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, one interesting statistic is 76% of ground level housing is occurring outside of the city of Toronto, singles, semis and towns. And, you know, Barry brought up a point about price appreciation in Toronto being 15%. If you look at Muskoka, it's 32%. If you look at uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, as, as this gentleman asked in the question just before, that's gone up 33%. So, Part of his question was, is this temporary? Is everyone going to be called back to the office? Well, if you look at some of the high-tech companies, they're making a commitment to work at home, more of a permanent thing. I think there's going to be a lot of elements of what we're living with. As an example, we're on a Zoom call right now. Does every meeting have to occur face-to-face -face after this technology has become present in everyone's world? I don't think so. So I think that one thing that will come back is our desire to be social beings has not changed. We, the office will come back. People want to be together. People want to see one another. There are synergies that occur in an office that don't occur uh, over a computer screen or on a telephone call. And the last part of his question was about condominiums. And, you know, condominiums received a bad rap during the height of COVID in March 
uh, at the very outset, and someone described a condominium as a cruise ship on one end because the elevator isn't being stuck under one roof. But, you know, Brad said it well. The condos in Toronto has, have never been hotter in his 35 years. Uh, just a quick statistic. Uh, there are, I think, 124 cranes in Toronto. That's more than New York, Chicago, Boston, and L.A. combined. So we're leading the world in condominiums. And it's like what Toronto has always said. We have to grow up, not out. That's our only option. So I'll pick up on a, a few of those themes that Michael talked about, all of which I agree with, including the fact that we are a vertical city. We're going to continue to be a vertical city. There was a lot of confusion at the beginning of this pandemic, even to the point where people thought they shouldn't go outside. And we actually know it's better for you to be outside than to be inside. <laughs> the air is better outside than it is. The odds are in your in your home. But there was a lot of confusion about what can I do? Where am I safe? Where am I not safe? But the good news is that Asia, which is ahead of us, has already done and undertaken a tremendous amount of research. And you do not find any outbreaks that have happened in high-rise buildings or in elevators. There's just no story like that. We do see tremendous outbreaks in places where there are shared surfaces and where people stay for an extended period of time. Long-term care homes is a good example of that. We also know in office settings where people worked for a long period of time side by side, contagion took place, but contagion in elevators, contagion in transit, there's no documentation across the globe that these are risky environments. Still wear your mask, but this is really important analysis. We better understand that. I do think part of what's happened in the context of the past six months has been because of the uncertainty, people have retreated and become very, very careful. Rightly so, if you have an elderly parent or you're immunocompromised, wanting to get away from people particularly in light of the uncertainty, is not surprising. But I think Michael hit the nail on the head when he said, we're social beings, we're social creatures. And I think some of us might have enjoyed the lockdown the first time around. It was sort of, you know, we hunkered down. Uh, I don't know a lot of people that are enjoying it right now. Everyone I know is going sort of bananas and cannot wait to go out to a restaurant, to go to a Raptors game, to be walking down the street freely. I have full confidence that we are going to return to our very urban ways. And you know, cities are about sharing things. You share amenities, you share experiences, you share a smile or a laugh on the street. I believe that that is going to come. I really do. I believe it's going to come roaring back. The housing market will parallel that. So I think that, you know, if I had to make a prediction, I think that you're going to see the suburban market deflate as the economy opens up again, as we all get our vaccines and we go back to living the way we want to live, which is in communities where we can interact with people. And I also agree on the, um, the employment side. I think there's going to be a mix moving forward in the future. We've been through a digital transformation. The fact that we're all doing this in this format is a reflection of that. It's not like we go back to not having been through a digital transformation. That has happened. But in keeping with the comments about being a social people, I think we'll want a combination. That will mean some people will have the option of now living in the suburbs without a long commute because they can work on a screen. And I don't think that's the bad thing. I think it's a good thing, but it won't upend our urbanism. 
If I may, just uh, just if I can say something about that, uh, we looked at uh, it very carefully, as I'm sure everybody else in this uh, panel. The correlation between distance and price is very, very clear. Price inflation has risen faster the further you are from Toronto. And it makes sense because beyond the first 50 kilometers, every 10 kilometers will buy you $25,000 of a house. So why not if you can, remote, if you can walk remotely? It makes sense. Uh, and, you know, every trend, every crisis is a trend accelerator, and this uh, crisis is not very different. You know, we have seen the Toronto refugees way before uh, the crisis, and now, of course, it was accelerated. Too much? Absolutely too much. I think it's uh, moving way too fast, and I think that will change. We do a lot of interviews with many CEOs, and most of them are, most of them are telling us people are coming back. People are coming back. Maybe it will be different. Maybe it will be three days a week. Maybe it will be... Not at nine o'clock in the morning, you know, so rush hour will be a primitive uh, notion. But office will remain the key f factor here. And that's a mistake that many people make. You know, you buy a house two hours from Toronto while walking in Toronto, assuming that you, you will be walking from home forever. That's not the case. You will be back. That's one thing. Second, maybe your first employer, your current employer allows you to do so. What about your next one? All of a sudden, this, that can impact your labor mobility and ability to advance. Not very uh, positive situation. So I suggest that in the second half of the year, as this economy starts recovering, and it will recover very, very fast, I believe, you will see a reversal of this kind of uh, trend. And that's one thing. The other, about the condo space, because I think there was a question about that, the only thing I will say is that uh, the gap between uh, pre-construction, new construction, and resale market is at a record high, if I'm not mistaken. So the question is, what, we, what will correct? And I don't think it will be new construction. So I think that if something is going to correct, it is going to be the resale market that will start catching up with the new market. I think that's something that we should expect. Okay. We're going to move on to Michelle for our next question. As someone involved with the tech industry, when we finally arrive at this new normal, how widespread do you think working from home is going to be and how will that impact housing decisions? Yeah, it's a great question. So let me start off with my own personal biases. I was an enormous fan of the office. We had an we had an office where people were in there all morning. They were brainstorming all night. Like there was an energy about being in our office at all times. And I couldn't imagine a world without that. We didn't hire anyone that was working remotely. I didn't actually know how any of that worked. And so this was a big of a shock to me as anyone else that that even for a tech company, we would go fully remote. And you know, like every other company, we've had to figure this out and do that. And so here's the reason that I think this will not return to normal levels or everyone's footprint will be a bit smaller. I'm with many of our other panelists, what Jennifer said, in terms of like, we need community. But here's what changed over a year of COVID. For all of these tech companies, what we started doing is we started saying, I can go get talent from anywhere. And that was game changing from us. So we've hired, you know, a hundred new people since the start of COVID. And those people have not, we used to force everyone to move to Toronto. Now those people are in Seattle and Virginia and, you know, San Francisco and New York City. We just hired a German engineer. Like it's all over now. So that's why when we, when, even if we have an office, I think they're going to be, they're going to look very different. I think they're probably going to look closer to like the hoteling model where you can drop in. I think we're looking at a model where we do, you know, six retreats a year where we all get together to meet each other, but it's really a remote first environment. And this will make a huge difference on both condo prices and commercial prices, because 
tech companies were what was driving this insane commercial real estate market that was a 2% vacancy before COVID. And it was what's driving all of these employees that wanted to live downtown in condos. And so if we actually see that now there's, there's just smaller footprints from these tech companies, and now more of our workers aren't being forced to relocate, that is going to make a really big difference in the numbers. Um, and I think it's probably going to into a bit of the conversation we'll have about how many people are moving into the city, but we are now totally open. I mean, if you can work Eastern Standard Time, you can work from anywhere. And that is that is actually going to change. And so this is coming from me, someone who, who believed that there would always be an office is now when we think about coming back, I can't even bring my whole team back to the office. And so I think that's that's something for, for folks to think about. Can I make a quick comment there? So, Michelle, I think the difference is that you're willing to hire someone from, you know, in Germany to work for you in your Toronto office and, and maybe in other countries and maybe in other cities. But I think the point that's being made here is they're not going to want to work for you that way because while it may work for you, their entire, you know, if you think about who your friends are, who your contacts are, where your entertainment comes from and your, and your sort of mental health comes from, it often is from work because that's where you spend most of your time and you get most of your feeling as a useful human being from. If you don't get to mix with the people you work with socially, it's gonna to lead to very high levels of depression, nihilism, it's a terrible thing. So I have to strongly disagree with you. I think it works well for you. I think as an employer, it's great. Your, your real estate imprint goes down, you could probably pay them less because they're not coming to the office, they're not driving their car. But for the worker, it's gonna be way worse. And I think workers will not put up with that. That's my opinion. And I think the only rebuttal to that would be in the technology industry, I would say we disproportionately hire introverts and software developers actually in offices often don't want to be interrupted. <laughs> and I've worked with hundreds of them in my career. And I would totally agree that I get a deep amount of satisfaction from having a social environment of work. But I think there is a bunch of folks that, that are actually very happy being remote. And so I didn't think the world would shake up this way. I would have never made this prediction 12 months ago, but I've been actually a little bit surprised. Okay. And Sangeeta, I saw you shaking your head there. You work in a completely different industry where it's not necessarily introverts. You work in television and I can imagine um, remote work isn't something that's going to be long-term in your roles. Yeah, I disagree with Brad, actually. I think a lot of people are finding ways to have different coping mechanisms. We're learning more different ways of, you know, what we're doing right now. In my industry, I don't think I'll be traveling as much. I used to travel every week to do interviews and go to the locations of these sets. It's now I'm doing interviews with, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson at midnight, and it's we're capable to do that. For us as well, it looks like, you know, we will go into studio slowly. We're not going back until the end of the year because we're able to do this from home and make television. And the one thing we are learning is like Michelle mentioned, you get together once in a few months and kind of get together and kind of chat with each other and kind of catch up. But I think that's what it is. It's we're learning different ways to communicate. I do not see people going back to the office. Um, my husband works, in, he's a doctor and you know, he's doing a lot of work from remote work from home now. And it's the safety of it. This is not going to go away this year. It's going to be a while before that happens. So I don't see people trying to make that move and say, hey, I want to give you a hug. I want to see my friends. I don't see that happening for a while. It's going to be a very slow process. And I, I'm seeing with the medical field too, like my, I have a lot of family that are in the medical field and that's the steps that they're taking. So that's the reason I was shaking. I agree with Michelle. I think the, the, the changes that are happening are going to stay around for a while. 
Okay, we're going to go to Brian and William, and then we'll have to move on to the next question. Toronto is is slowly getting to the point where, different than European cities or cities in Asia, where we see families living in condos. You know, typically the condos that we're building, most of them are small and single people, roommates, couples. The concept of having a family in a condo, we're just not building big enough units to accommodate families and working from the house at the same time. You know, you've got two people working and they're on their computers, you know, having Zoom meetings and then they've got two kids. We've got to create affordable um, apartments, condos, where they can actually live in them. And also one of the issues is, and, and Jennifer can talk to this, I drove by a site of a condo site and it had a notice on it that said that there would not be, or don't expect there to be um, schools in the neighborhood to accommodate families. So we want this to be like, the whole concept is everybody says, I want a house, I want a house, I want a house. Well, that's really gonna be very challenging uh, going forward to live in Toronto and have a house. So if you wanna have a family and you wanna stay in the city, where are those apartments? They're not 500 square foot, 700 square foot, even a thousand square foot apartments to raise a family in and possibly work out of. The buildings have to be designed to have amenities for children also. But if we don't have the schools, I was shocked to see the sign, Jennifer, in front of the site that said there will not be a guarantee that there will be schools in the area to accommodate any families that move into the building. So how do we deal with this situation? Okay, and William? Ben noticed a little while ago that there's a consistent relationship between the distance you are from the center of a market and the price of a house. And there is indeed such a relationship. There's some recent research that's looked at how that relationship has changed post-COVID. And it's changed in a pretty robust way, both rental and prices. It's become flatter. So the premium you play from being in the center is smaller. It is not zero. So all the people who say we want to come back to the office, I couldn't agree more. But if you're coming back to the office three days a week, which is common for people in my industry, and staying home and getting stuff done the other two days a week, you can tolerate longer commutes and you need a bigger house, both of which are pushing people towards uh, the outside of markets. So I, although I think there may be some degree of reversal, I think the economic fundamentals that have driven what we saw in 2020, some of them are gonna remain and we're, we're gonna be in a different world going forward. Okay, moving on to our next question kind of keeping in the same vein, but one of the impacts of the exodus, as we've been talking about the exodus from the city, is that housing prices have actually skyrocketed in small towns and suburban areas outside the core, while within the city, prices in some segments are, are stagnant uh, by comparison. Brad Lamb, will this impact the decisions development companies make and where they direct investment and decide to build in the years to come? So... There isn't really a, a marketplace that I'm seeing now that's stagnant. So, you know, we're active in Cambridge and uh, in Hamilton and the core, Toronto, Mississauga. We've also been active in Ottawa and Calgary, and we're looking in areas like Niagara Falls. I, I got to tell you that I don't see any area that's stagnant for new development right now. And, and like, as I said earlier, you know, there's, there's two markets we live in in Toronto. It's different than other cities, I'm sure. But we have the new condominium development market. I'm just talking about condominiums now. And we have the resale market. The resale market's more driven by people who want to live in a home. They, they go and they 
open the door and they, you know, sit in the couch and they see if they like it and they make a decision based on that. And then there's a market that, you know, exists to build new buildings, which is entirely driven. When I say entirely, 100% driven by investors. It always has been, and it's the same thing in every city in Canada. Unless you're dealing with Yorkville or, you know, some other neighborhood where you're selling multi-million dollar apartments. But if you're selling apartments to the masses, it comes down to investors. And investors are rabid for places to put their money right now. And there's no stagnant place. Okay. Mr. Hudak, would you like to comment? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think, you know, Brad, your comment would have, or Ron, your comment would have been right a few months ago, but uh, Brad nailed it. Like we're seeing up in Toronto, pretty much across the board right now in GTA. You know, here's what's I think really happening is I just fundamentally believe that city people will always like cities. Rural people will always like the small town. And we've seen a sorting out of the round pegs in the square holes that have shifted. So we're seeing an acceleration of trends, but I still believe that cities are going to do very well. And I think that's bearing out. Let me, let me give you some quick data here. TerraNet, um, our land registry system has really good data. Like they, they track every move in the province. So the number of GTA transactions where people leave the GTA, that'd be Toronto, Peel, Durham, New York, and their data has gone up 27% from the previous year. So it's a big number, right? And that's why they moved to Sarnia or Fort Erie. It causes a big fuss. A small number of people can really drive a smaller market. But here's the important point. That's only 6% of GTA transactions. The rest moved somewhere else in the GTA. In the city of Toronto, 55% stayed in Toronto. It's down a little bit, but pretty constant. 22% went to the GTA. So while you see a big impact in small towns because a few people can make a big difference, the reality is the vast majority of people when they're moving continue to stay in the big cities. It's a shift at the margins and acceleration of choices, but it is not a revolution. Okay. And uh, Josh, why don't we just uh, go to you? Do you see this similar kind of trend in your area? However, momentary uh, as a result of the pandemic, people looking to buy outside kind of the core areas and that driving yeah. up these, the, the prices in these areas. Yeah. I mean, everybody is, I mean, what I mentioned earlier was everybody is buying outside of the city because they want air and they want to breathe. I guess the question is what's going to happen when the pandemic ends or when people return to civilization, are they just going to love their life so much in this life that they never had before, which is, you know, in uh, outside of the cities and they're going to continue, you know, living like this or are they going to go, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I guess we can go back to town now. I mean, it was a nice little vacation while it lasted. So who knows? But I mean, I think that, um, you know, I said for years that I, I, I wanted to buy a place in Montecito, which is outside of Los Angeles. It's a great, it's a, just a beautiful area. Kind of missed that boat. <laughs> so I think at this point, the prices have skyrocketed in those areas. So I don't see people retreating out of those areas and go back to town and then the prices sink. I think that those areas are now an attractive area for people to live that weren't maybe before. And now people have choices, city or country. Okay, thank you. And we'll go to uh, Michelle and then Odine, I think uh, if you'd like to comment on this. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what Brad said is with investors are rabid. I just wanted to zoom in on that comment again and look at what happened this year. You know, one of the things that it's hard to realize is that the high income earners lost actually a ton of things that they were buying. And so every piece of spend that was in travel, every single piece of spend that was in luxury goods actually started chasing different asset classes. And this actually explains an enormous amount. This is why crypto is through the roof. And we've never seen Bitcoin at these levels in all alternative currencies. This is why GameStop happened and meme stocks went through the roof, literally because people had too much money and, and not enough in one segment and not enough where places 
to put it, you know, property was one of the few things that this band of people could buy. And so I actually think it's less about what Tim was saying. Are you a, are you a city person or another person? I think people for the first time could be like, I could be both of those people. And now I have the chance to buy these things because I am not using discretionary income on a huge portion. And so we've seen this happen with a lot of different segments that are just beyond property where people are looking for different things to invest in because uh, largely spending has gone down for this specific segment that does not address, um, you know, low income earners. But I think it is an interesting point because it's going to, it's actually going to lead to some very irrational behavior that economists haven't seen before, because typically, you know, spend um, among these earners looks, looks the same on discretionary items. Okay. Odin? Yeah. So Toronto has always been, of course, like a robust real estate market and it'll continue to be. And the 905 is just they now have the option or buyers now have the options of being elsewhere. And when it comes down to it, I think a lot of people, like just in terms of the topic, suburbs versus Toronto, a lot of people who have now experienced the 905, I think a lot of people are going to realize, well, you know what? It's not so bad. So whereas a couple of people mentioned that we're going to be seeing a reversal, I think the fact is with supply and demand and with population increase worldwide, some people won't be able to afford going back to Toronto. So I think that Toronto will continue to be robust because of immigration. But I think that I'm happy that these tertiary markets are markets that people are considering because otherwise it's just really Toronto is just going to become completely unaffordable when the pandemic is over and, and immigration returns. It's going to be uh, some of the people will just have to choose to tertiary markets. Okay, we're going to leave uh, the last comment to Barry, and then we're going to move on to a good segue there to affordable housing. Barry? I agree largely with Odin that, you know, people have choices now. I don't think you can raise a family in a condo. We've had that discussion before. I mean, maybe you're going to have Jennifer and Brad, maybe they're going to design levels with schooling, or maybe you're going to have work, work level, workstation levels. I mean, all that could come down. But I think at some point when the second child arrives, you're going to want to be in a house. So I, so as Odin says, I think these are lifestyles. You know, you you want the house, you want suburbia. Maybe it's more economical. Every big city, you know, has its its vertical um, shift and it has its suburban. But um, I think that you know you're going to see uh, areas such as that have escalated dramatically might level off, as Jennifer said, deflate a little. But I don't think you're going to see any mass corrections in the night nine oh five at all. Okay. Thank you for listening to part three of Post City Magazine's Real Estate Roundtable, brought to you by the Remax Collection in Great Gulf. To hear the panel discuss affordable and purpose-built housing, please download part four.